Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman. Today I'm visiting with Aaron Resney and Jordan Chops, co-authors of the newly published Eating Delancey, a celebration of Jewish food, a compilation of wonderful photographs of classic Jewish food with profiles and recipes from Lower East Side Jewish eateries such as Sammy's Romanian Steakhouse, Russ and Daughter's Appetizers, Katz's Delicatessen, Ratner's, and more and essays by the likes of Bette Midler, Jackie Mason, Itzhak Perlman, Joshua Bell, Don Rickles, Fivish Finkel, Isaac Musraki, Lou Reed, and Milton Glaser. Aaron Resney has spent more than 20 years shooting food and tabletop photography. The son of Polish immigrants, Resney began his photographic career at an early age and eventually established his studio in 1979. His photography has been featured in major marketing campaigns for Nestle's, Duncan Hines, Kellogg's, and Russell Stover, among other brands. His work has appeared in New York Magazine, Bon Appetit, Food and Wine, and The Wall Street Journal. Jordan Chops began his photo directing career at New York Magazine in 1978. He quickly rose to photography director at New York Magazine and went on to act as concept creative director of features for InStyle, GQ, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue, and other magazines. Chops has also produced advertorials for Lincoln Motor Cars, JCPenney, and Knoll International. Welcome. Well, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. So both of you have a lot of creative talent. Um, I guess the first question I have is, how did this all come about? Well, it's kind of interesting because it's funny that you mentioned New York Magazine and Jordan and I having a lot of history. And um, it's kind of an interesting story. Jordan and I started out in the ranks as, you know, young pitchers working together for other people. And we met working at New York Magazine. And you know, ultimately, Jordan moved up the ranks at New York Magazine. And um, when I started my photo career on my own, um, Jordan and I start, Jordan started hiring me, and we did a tremendous amount of work together. And, um, you know, we really had, like, a very long, you know, fruitful, you know, relationship working together. That was That's really great of you to bring up, Aaron, because that's exactly what I was thinking when I heard Lisa talking. Yeah, our, our, our even our food history starts. They, we he and I played scrimmage with a fifty-pound foie gras. <laughs> Corky Pollan was featuring in New York Magazine that he was shooting. So, to talk about how the photography part, how the book started, is this started out as you know I had a long career and fortunately a successful career shooting a lot of food for advertising and. You know, I reached a certain point, and I said, boy, you know, I really want to start doing something a little bit more personal and just something for myself and without clients and without direction and something that meant something to myself. And um, I came up with the Eating Delancey concept. I came up with the name. And, um, you know, with my team of food stylists, assistants, the same way we would do, you know, any other project, um, we started going down to the Lower East Side and bringing back some pastrami and some candy and some seltzer bottles. And, you know, then we started shooting a glass of tea because it reminded me of my father. And, you know, all of a sudden we had a project and, you know, um, it got a fair amount of recognition. There was a gallery show and then I called in Jordan and I said, um, Jordan, my old comrade, my friend, my pal, I said, we got something here. Let's work on a book together. What do you think? Well, he, actually, he said to me, I think there's a book there. 
what do you think? And I said, I think there's a book there, too. And he said, great, I'll split it with you 90-10. I didn't know if he meant him or me for the 90%. At any rate, we'll work that out. We'll work that out, right. Um, I said, yes, I think there's a book there, but in this crazy world, no matter how gorgeous the photography is. By the way, I have to say something that I was just thinking of. Aaron's work has always been gorgeous, always been beautiful. But I think the thing that means kind of probably a great deal to him in terms of this kind of work at this time in his career is that this is not food photography that he's produced. It's art. Well, it's very iconic. I mean, that's one of the questions I have for you later. It's just... It resonates on so many levels, just simply. And as I say, you know, there's a. I wanted to ask you about that, and I can just jump jump ahead. Um, you know, the the pictures of such simple things as the seltzer bottle, uh, as a bowl of soup. You have the the meat grinder, which was in every home in the middle of the 20th Absolutely. century. These are all familiar. That's like that's my grandmother's. Um, mm-hmm. You so, know. Yeah. Lisa, it's funny you mentioned the bowl of chicken soup, and I'm going to share something with you because we seem to have a little bit of time and we're kibitzing here, but it's not really a well-known fact. But if you notice in the picture of the chicken soup, the, the, the spoon is right next to the side. And one thing that, you know, my father was Eastern European, and unfortunately he spent here in Russia, and, you know, hot soup was really like a major, you know, thing of source of nourishment, especially chicken soup. And he always taught me as a child to take the spoon and take it right next to the side of the bowl because it cools down the soup. Really? Yeah. See, I love yeah. that. Um, yeah. It's just... And I shot it intentionally huh. with my father in mind, mm-hmm. and I passed that along to my children. And it's, it's, you know, it's just one of these small things that you carry with you. Well, I love that. I mean, I love that in the essays, um, which, you know, are penned by celebrities and everyday folks, but... What's at the core of all of them is just how personal these stories are about the place and the details of Jewish food in our lives. Well, that's that's so sweet of you to say that, and that's sort of how we feel. But jumping back, that's the point where Aaron and I were thinking of, what is this? And I said, we need voices. Mm-hmm. We need writing. The food is fabulous to look at, but... We've got to get famous people and not so famous people and accomplished people to write about their 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 memories, their feelings, and of course, being who I am, I said, and we need shtick, we need jokes and a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants, because <laughs> what is the Jewish culture if not our humor and our food? Absolutely, and just, you know, I was. Um visiting with friends recently and we were sharing matzo ball soup because I wasn't so well and they made some for me and I said oh you know these matzo balls they're great they're as good as my grandma Zelma's um and that's you know that's my sort of bar of what makes a good matzo ball soup and Mm -hmm. the host chef guy asked um if she'd written a recipe down and I said you know, no. And then we began to all sort of share stories, and we realized that that wasn't part of the tradition in our families to write the recipes down, but they were something that would be shared as you were preparing. And it's like the little details that you said just, you know, about the spoon and how it would cool it down. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, um, you know, we remember these tastes and smells, but we don't seem to have the three-by-five card. So it's the narrative as well as the visual Etc. that all becomes part of the larger story. Is that what you're after? 
Lisa, look, I think Jordan and I agree on this. We really feel like the soul of the book is is the um, the pictures. Mm-hmm. The heart of the reminiscences, the stories, the jokes, the contributions. Uh, this, this, and you know, one of the reasons that we started this project, or I started it, and where it came from, is that these flavors are vanishing. You know, we grew up in an era that there was a candy store on every corner, there was a fish market on every block, there was a, there was deli. a Jewish deli. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there was an appetizing store. This is all, you know, going away. You know, we, in in New York, we have maybe two or three places where you can buy these things. We have about six delis, and, you know, economy candy's got to hold on, you know, candy. It's just, it's becoming a different world, and New York and all the large cities are changing, and, you know, it was peasant food, you know, and now it's, um, you know, brisket and pastrami is, you know, is astronomical. But I'm going to bring in a contradictory notion, and that is there is a section in our book that says the next generation, and it seems there is in a very nation state, um, interest in almost nouvelle Jewish cuisine. There's a place in Brooklyn run by Theo Peck, who is a descendant of the Ratner's family, where if, instead of gefilte fish, he has a, a gefilte fish terrine. It's modernized. It's new age. Mm-hmm. It's artisanal. But, God, fingers crossed if Jews are allowed to do that. And grass-fed chopped liver. And grass-fed chopped liver, yeah. Who knows if we might reach a low point and then start to swing up in a more contemporary way? I definitely think you're right. I mean, we did a piece for our magazine, Pock and Trigger, the magazine of the Yiddish Book Center, about food um, last summer. And certainly in going out and reporting on that, there are there is a new generation who, like all Jewish generations, is reinventing and sort of reimagining the food. But what's... But we all build on that tradition, and I think that that's what you've really managed to capture in this book, both in words and pictures. Um, And it's the way that we sort of transmit that sense of um, collective, uh, you know, identity and just experience. And um, there was, if I can quote something from the book, um, uh, Michael Hirshhorn writes, um, I awoke suddenly at 4 a.m. with a profound sense memory of eclair. New York Bakery, I remember. Um, The coffee cake, its taste, smell, mouthfeel, it felt then as it does now, tied up in so much unspoken history and longing as to be almost too much to bear. And I, yeah, to be able to be transported to those places and those memories and that you can still taste those aspects of your childhood is so compelling. Thank well, you, Lisa. How lovely to hear you say that. Thank you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, I'm curious how you came up with a list of contributors and if you were surprised by the pieces and how it all played out. Oh, I hope this doesn't sound chauvinistic at all, but it, it, you're dealing with two guys here. You <laughs> were throwing names out, and the first thing we came up with, the legendary Jewish pitcher, Sandy Koufax. <laughs> we wanted Sandy Koufax. But there were certain people we just set our sights on that. I mean, the name Jackie Mason came up immediately. The name Fife Schwinkel came up immediately. I'll tell you, Lisa, what we were really surprised with and pleased is we, we were always hoping to get um, Joan Rivers, mm-hmm. and we actually had a strong contact with Joan, which we're very grateful for their help and, you know, contribution and, you know, putting that sort of all together for us. But 
we were we never thought of Joan as someone that was a food person. She's mm-hmm. not known as a food person. She doesn't bring that out very much. But the piece that she wrote was just so heartfelt that we were just absolutely floored by it. It was not supposed to be the introduction, but when we got it, we read it, we showed it to the publisher. We were like, you know, holy Valley. This is mm-hmm. absolutely like fantastic. Um, you know, um, Abby Aronson, the person that you know we worked with on this, that interviewed Joan, um, called me up and she, I, she, I said, "Well, how'd it go?" She says, "Well, on a scale of one to ten, it was a 30. And she was just, you know, we were just so thrilled to have her. And um, of course, we're sorry for her, her sudden loss, and you know all of that. But that piece just says so much for the book because. Um, it's just pure from the heart and pure growing up. And the reason she was so anxious to do it is that she wanted to share it with her her daughter and, and her grandson, who really weren't that familiar. And another thing that Abby had shared with us about Joan that very few people knew is that she was completely dedicated to Jewish charities. And um, when Abby was in the dressing room with her, because she'd met her a number of times before through a friend of hers, she noticed a little tattoo on on her underarm, and on that tattoo was six M, and it was in dedication for the six millions of you know, Jews that were lost. Mm. But her goodness and her connection to Jewish food was a private thing. It was just, yeah. She, yeah. So it was a tremendously rewarding discovery, and a horrible loss for us. Yeah, and I, I think that that's true of all of the essays. I was. You know, they, they are some of them are funny, some of them are poignant, et cetera, but they all they all really feel like they're from the heart, that they're they're stories somebody wanted to share. Um, well, you know, you know, you're hitting on something so charming and such a lesson that Aaron and I learned. If we asked someone, if we were able to, because, you know, Aaron and I have been in the media for a long time, and, you know, we, you, we following if a good reputation follows you, it's, it makes it easier for you to get to important and famous people. It was astonishing to us that the people who said, oh, wow, that's a great idea, let me think about it, or I'll, I'll go home and I'll sit down and write something, nothing happened. But mm-hmm. if a person said, uh, Bette Midler or... Um, a Jackie Mason said, oh, my God, I'll never forget. When I was 10, my bubby used to, you know, it just it, it gushed out of them. They, they, they were effusive in, in the media. It was lovely. You know, we had a short, limited time, but the outpouring of emotion from each piece, the people that, the people that really felt something, the, the, the words just resonated. There were other people that really wanted to contribute and, yeah. They just couldn't come up with anything in time or anything that really resonated. But we're delighted with all the contributions. We just think that, you know, as I said, that's the heart of the book. Well, it's such an interesting cross-section, too, of stories. Um, do you both have um, a favorite story or food? Your personal story, your connection with Jewish food. I, mm, I Well, of course... Um, my connection is, is through my bubby Ethel, my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Uh, being born the youngest of many children and on my father's side of the family and my mother's side of the family, I did not know any of my grandparents. I only knew my one, my mother's mother, uh, Bubby Ethel. That was the whole world. I, it, it was, you know, my parents were very Americanized, so for me to go into her kitchen and really be back in Belarus and in Eastern Europe, I mean, was phenomenal. I, I think my favorite food is... Um, 
probably either potato latkes because it's just always so festive. And it was my mother's favorite food. She just could eat latkes every day, and she loved making them for us. And I still like making them for my children. Um, The other food that really resonates to me is um, kreplach. You know, um, my bubby made them by hand. She made hundreds at a time. It was just such a wonderful treat, and she made it as a treat. Yo, I'm going to make you kreplach. You've been a good boy. I'm going to make kreplach. And, you know, it's just such a wonderful, you know, memory for me, either in soup or boiled or fried or just, you know, taking them out of the refrigerator and heating them up myself. It was just, um, it it just has a really nice, you know, feeling for me. Um, I think one of, and and one of the favorite stories for me is um, Malcolm um, Taub's piece about the the carp in the bathtub, because, that's just such a memory that's so long and faded that your bubby would go or your mother would go to the um, to the fish store and pick up the fish, and on Friday afternoon you'd come home from school and you'd play with the carp, and the next thing you know, that night there was dinner. <laughs> <laughs> no, and everybody thinks, is that an urban myth? But no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, I learned recently um, from my niece that our bubby Ethel, her great-grandmother, also kept fish in the, but it was no big deal, and we mm-hmm. didn't, you know, who saw it? That, you know, she just did And that. we actually recreated that shot in my in my apartment, and um, I brought the fish in and photographed them, and, and um, somebody had them for for Shabbos dinner. Okay, or, or no fish, no carp were injured in the No, no, yeah. they were fine. They were fine. <laughs> we blessed them on the way home. Yeah. Yes. As far as me, it's chopped liver. Ah. Absolutely chopped liver. That is quintessential uh, Jewish food for me. And it seems as though people either remembered in the book something that somebody in their family made very well, or they remembered where they went to get something that they really loved. Many people seem to have had not such great cooks in their past. That seems to be the Jewish tradition (laughs) or the standing joke in the book. Um. You know, one of the nice things about, you know, some of the recipes that we have is that, you know, some of the really wonderful uh, establishments gave us their own recipes. You know, Second Avenue Deli, um, Ratner. Mm -hmm. Ratner's gave us recipes. And that's the the Sammy's recipe for chopped liver is exactly the way they make it there. Yeah, I was pretty wowed by that. in terms of using it as a cookbook. It just that you can engage with this book on so many different levels um, is wonderful. Um, and I just I have to thank you for putting it all together. It's truly a great book. It's a great wow. read. It's visually stunning. And also for somebody who likes to cook, there's a lot in there. Thank well, you. your words are, are, are Zisa Honig to us. Well, Sweet honey. Sweet, yes. Thank you so much again for joining us um, and for the for putting this together. Um, for our listeners, the book is available in our bookstore on site and online, yiddishbookcenter.org backslash store, um, and we'll post some more information about it. So, again, thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you, Lisa. Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Happy Hanukkah. Same to you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit our website, YiddishBookCenter.org. Our producer is Sarah Bleichfeld. I'm Lisa Newman. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.